Okay, if you would please turn to the Gospel of Luke. I will be reading from Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 59. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And Jesus also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, Make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge. And the judge hand you over to the officer. And the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Father, give my tongue, my mind, in my heart, appropriate thinking and affections and speaking that represent the intended meaning of your delivery 2,000 years ago that we see in this text. May we not only see it, hear it, understand it with our minds, may we embrace it, love it, and be freed by it in our hearts the glory of your name. Amen. This morning as we metaphorically stand on a hill overlooking Jesus, speaking first to his disciples and then to the crowds at large, we are meant by Jesus to hear three things this morning. First, Get rid of the idea that the gospel of Jesus only brings peace and harmony between people. The gospel purposefully brings tension, division, falling outs. The second thing is this. If you have not recognized and embraced the truth of Jesus, the truth of the gospel of Christ. In other words, you're on the other side of the tension Jesus is talking about. Your problem is not merely intellectual. Your minds work fine. You can see the south wind's blowing. It's going to be hot. Deduced. It's happened enough times, it should happen again. You know when it's going to rain. You can read. Your mind works fine. Jesus says the problem is hypocrisy. What's he mean? The problem is, is what he's saying, it's a heart issue. Which leads to the third point we're supposed to see this morning. If that's you, you should wake up and evaluate your situation correctly. Because God is your accuser who has much against you legally, and he's absolutely right. And so Jesus pleads and says, go to him and settle your case before you wake up from death to find yourself in an eternal debtor's prison.
So as we come to this text, let me just say first of all, because Jesus is going to say, here's why I come. Well, the Bible says lots of things about the reason Jesus came and what his purpose was. For instance, he came to die. He came to give his life as a ransom payment. He came to fulfill the law. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to gather his sheep into the fold. He came to make atonement. Well, Jesus didn't really come for all kinds of different reasons. He came for that one core, humongous mountain of a reason. And there are different paths up the mountain that are all connected that make that one thing the whole, like what we just saw. Oh, and one other, the one we see this morning. One pathway up the mountain of why did you come, Jesus, is stated by Jesus in our text. He says, I came in order to cast fire down on the earth and to cause division within families. So, you see, if you look, well, if you have a Bible, see, people don't, I can't even say that anymore. So many have little phones in their hand. But if you have a Bible, you would see, boom, 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 laid out in front of you three separate paragraphs that we're looking at this morning, and they are connected. First, the first paragraph, verses 49 to 53. In this first paragraph, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, not to the crowds yet. And this paragraph has three parts to it that make up the whole. First, the purpose of Jesus' coming. Second, the means by which he will accomplish that purpose. His baptism in the wrath of God. And third, the consequences of the cross, of his baptism in the wrath of God, is division within families. Let's look at the purpose first. Verse 49. I came to, meaning I came for this purpose, to cast fire on the earth, and I would that it were already kindled, burning, but it's not. Okay, Fire. Okay, what, what's he getting at here with fire? It, in the New Testament, there are two main things that fire denotes. Others, but the two main are this. Fire could be that act of God of saving, purging people of their sin. Or it could be fire of judgment. See, Luke, in the Gospel, if you turn back to chapter 3, has already pinned for us John the Baptist's words in chapter 3, starting with verse 16, where John says about Jesus the Messiah, He will, when He comes, baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That fire there is not judgment. That fire, this is one baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. Those people who are being saved, connected with our cats, who are being separated from those who aren't. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, but he goes on. His winnowing fork is in his hand, that is Jesus' hand, to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. Here's the separation. But the chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's judgment. Now, see, trying to look at the text. What do you mean? What, what, is it, what did you intend to communicate? He says, I've come to cast fire down. Do you mean judgment? Maybe. But, but because both are true. And he is coming again in Scripture. And he's not coming to save the second time. He's coming with judgment. You want to already be saved. But what I think Jesus means here is essentially the same thing that John said about him. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That Holy Spirit immersing you in, in 
purging, working, separating, sanctifying, purging you with his salvific work, which separates you from those who are not in that saving experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, So in other words, here in the text so far, Jesus is being pretty candid with his good friends. He's longing to get to this part of his ministry. <laughs> oh, how I long that it were already kindled, that I would be, be doing this baptizing and purging. But, but it's not yet. He longs for this to be happening. Remember, don't miss the context. I know it's been a year and a half working slowly through the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is on the road from north, from the north up by Galilee. He's on the road to Jerusalem. And when he reaches Jerusalem, he's going to die a week later. He knows what he's doing. He knows where he's going. And at this point, he is burying his soul. He is bearing his deep feelings with his disciples. And in so doing, he's revealing some very tough truths. That he has come to bring fire that purges and separates people, causing not peace, but division. And now at this point, in Jesus' ministry before the cross, that fire, in the way that he means it, has not yet come. But instead here, Jesus is expressing his deep desire to bring it about. Quote, And I would, meaning I wish that it were already here, already kindled. It's not. He's yearning to bring this fulfillment of bringing fire to the earth and causing division. He's yearning that that fulfillment would come to pass. But other things must happen first before he can exercise the authority of baptizing in the Holy Spirit, purging with fire, and causing the separation. He longs, this is what he's saying, this is Jesus, this is this genuine human being who himself had never come into existence, but is the eternal God taken to himself, complete, full humanity. He's saying, guys, I long for this aspect of my ministry to come about but something must come first let's read it again I came to cast fire on the earth and I would that it were already kindled but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. That daunting reality that Jesus is really in touch with and feeling here was that he knew why he came. He knew he had to first go through the baptism, the being immersed in this brutal death where God's wrath against sin would be poured out on Him because on the cross, God will impute, means consider, reckon, all the sins of those who will be saved on His Son Jesus and punish Him. Jesus is saying, 
There's a baptism. It's causing great stress. I want to get through it. I want to get it over with. And because that's going to produce the ministry of casting fire and baptizing people with the Holy Spirit. See, that's what baptism means. Baptizo, that Greek word. It means to submerge. He's not referring to baptism in water that he already went through under John the Baptist's ministry. He's referring to be baptized in the sins of the people, in the wrath of God as a substitute for his people. Down the road, the Apostle Paul, via the Holy Spirit, will say this about that cross, that baptism in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin. Him who knew no sin, did not sin, had no sin, was not a sinner. He, God did that so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And so there, this is still in front of Jesus at this point in the narrative of Luke. There though, on the cross in Jerusalem, where He's going, His baptism will consist of His being a curse having the wrath of God poured out upon him. Jesus says to his disciples, I can't wait until it's completed. Is he? No, 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 no. He, he's, he's got these different emotions. He's distressed. He knows in the intensity as he gets closer and closer in his humanity, the, the horrificness, not only of the physical torture, but of God's, his Father's face turning away from him in his complete humanity is horrific to him. But there's the other aspect. I do want to do it because he knows what it is will accomplish fire. His ministry of baptizing the Spirit causing division. But the division is good in that this, he will actually be saving sinners. Sinners' lives by the baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire. They will be transformed as they hear the message of the gospel. So, for just, just for briefly, just flash forward after this baptism, after the cross, this is what's going to produce. Months later, Acts chapter 5, verse 30 to 32, Jesus has died. And he has been raised from the dead. And he has ascended. And now, here's Peter preaching. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging Him on a tree. That's His baptism. And God exalted Him in His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. Jesus is itching to get to this point of His ministry. And so back in our text, here's Jesus. His eyes are wide open to where He's going. And so He says to His disciples, Guys, I have a baptism to be baptized with. Until then, I'm in great. Distress. Oh, and it gets worse. As Marcelo preached a couple weeks ago, Jesus will now end up in Jerusalem and he will say, Now, guys, my soul is troubled. What, what am I, should I say? Father, deliver me from this hour? No. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Okay. That's the baptism he's feeling. So let's let just feel it again as I read our text. Jesus is talking to the apostles and some other disciples. 
I came, guys, to cast fire on the earth, and I would that it were already kindled, yet I have first a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. And so what we're seeing here is that God's plan of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which will cause divisions, cannot occur until Jesus undergoes rejection and God's judgment. And after that, in His resurrection, in His ascension, wait guys until I send the Holy Spirit, then He can begin that part of His ministry and do much more than He ever could as we've been seeing throughout the Gospel of Luke. Jesus longed yearned to bring the fire to earth. He wished it were already kindled, but he knew he first, in order to do that, he's got to go to the cross. He's got to be baptized in the wrath of God. He is saying this, in this church, we talk about the incarnation of Christ when it comes out. He's not a fake human being. He's a genuine human, just like you are, except without the experience of sinning. And he's saying, with the distress and all, I'm going. There's a part of me, I can't wait to do the work of this baptism in order to save his sheep. And as we will see here in a second, okay, don't misunderstand me, Jesus is going to say. My purpose in coming will cause great stress, tension, and division in the world. Let's just see it for a moment. He's going to go into the cross. The cross is going to happen. Pentecost is going to happen. Let's just flash forward to the other side of his baptism for a minute. Watch. You flash forward a few months later in A.D. 33. And now there's James, Peter, and John being beaten by the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem because of the message of Jesus. Flash forward to A.D. 35. There's this guy, this Pharisee, Saul from Tarsus, trying to kill and stamp out these persons, these Christian people, because of this message, this gospel of Jesus. Division. Flash forward a little bit more, and that same guy, Saul, who is Paul is needing to escape Damascus because his fellow Jews, whom he was on their side before, are now trying to kill him. Then many years later, go to A.D. 60, this same guy, Paul, will almost be beaten to death in Jerusalem in the temple courts because of his Connection to and the message of Jesus. Flash forward a million times over through the centuries where the message of Jesus has gone forth and has invaded hearts of real persons. And the result? Fallouts. Divisions. Not peace on earth, but tension. Persecution. I mean, you would think, this great message, there's a God and we've sinned against Him, and He Himself, in His love, has made a way where He can uphold justice and forgive you forever and bring you into His happiness if you would trust that 
This message really happened. And it's true. If you embrace him, open your eyes and cause him to be your treasure, you will be saved forever for what you deserved. What a message. You would think everyone would just embrace it. And Jesus said, don't ever think that. It's not going to happen. It's not the way it works. Many reject God's offer because it offends their pride. They don't want to admit that they are the sinners that they really are deserving of God's eternal wrath. They don't want to admit that they have nothing that they could do to atone for their own sins. And so, the unambiguous gospel of Jesus, the biblical gospel of Jesus, the clear gospel becomes a stumbling block to these people. And it leads to division between them and those who are changed by the message of Jesus and their lives are turned upside down. A division even at times within close family connections. So this is what Jesus goes on to say. Verse 51. Guys, do you think that I have come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you. But rather, division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two, and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son. Son against father. Mother against daughter. Daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her son's wife. And daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's why I've come. See, it is true. Yes. Oh, don't miss this. Oh, peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Of goodwill, how you put it. It's true that the Messiah comes bringing peace. Bringing peace with God through His baptism to those who receive Him with an open heart. But those who refuse God's offer of peace, they remain His enemies. As Jesus said, those who are not with me are against me. And so, the offer of salvation in Jesus Christ necessarily divides people into two opposing camps. There's no neutral ground. And Jesus makes no apology for it because He knows that the stakes for each person are really high. It may, in the hearing of the Gospel, and you don't think this is true, there are lots of stories today of 16-year-old girls coming to faith in Christ behind the Islamic bloc. And their life now literally is at stake from their family members. Jesus is saying, don't be confused. I did not come in order to make all of your family and cultural relationships smooth and blissful and peaceful. He's saying, I have come 
in order to cast fire down and and I will be doing stuff like this. I will invade two siblings' hearts out of five siblings. And thus there will be division. I have come to divide between a mother and her daughter because at age 23, I came to the daughter and invaded her heart with the gospel. Something is different now in that relationship. Because those who remained hardened to the offer of mercy and grace often get very angry at those who come to Christ and are faithful to the gospel. If they understand the gospel, they never come across as if they are better than anybody. The essence of the gospel is first and foremost knowing how unworthy and disgusting and deserving of real, unending, righteous, judicial punishment. And you want others to be delivered from that as you were. So you preach it and often people resist it. And they know what you're saying. You're saying to them, and they get very angry, that if they die in their sin, they will go to hell. They don't like it. Jesus is saying in our text, once I accomplish my baptism, people must take sides. See, the gospel even hits so-called moral people. I mean, upright people. In culture, they are. I, you want neighbors that are better neighbors than other neighbors and moral people that don't steal your stuff. But it, the gospel, when it's clear, hits the most, in their own mind, upright religious persons with their own rottenness before the one and only Holy God. The gospel raises a mirror up to people that they see I can do nothing that puts me in good stead. See, the message of Jesus says you must repent of your sins. You must receive Jesus as your substitutionary sacrifice where the sins that you have created and lived in and loved were justly settled by God punishing His eternal Son in humanity. You must receive Him. Yes, it's the only way. And you must receive His imputed righteousness. No righteousness of your own. Not even as you become a Christian. And look at that. I cleaned up my life a little bit better. Isn't that good, God? Am I more welcome? You don't get the gospel yet. The gospel is saying you must receive Christ as the only hope, the only way of ever going to heaven. The only way of ever being embraced by the love of God as opposed to the wrath of God. See, just as in the days of Jesus, which are just all over the New Testament, just as in Jesus' day, so also in our day, it is so often the most religious people who take great pride in their religiosity and in their own righteousness who get deeply offended at the gospel that's revealed in the New Testament. And it is that sinful disposition over the centuries that has so often caused, in the name of Christianity, peoples and leaders to blur the gospel by erecting systems of, yes, Christ, yes, grace, mixed with our works together is how we get saved. There was a 16th century Reformation fought 
over such an issue. The commentator teed on our text here, the core of what Jesus is talking about in the gospel, summarizes it this way. Those who would reduce Jesus to a sentimental savior of a doting God have not come to terms with the depth of divine passion. That is, of the wrath and love of God, which is revealed in Jesus' word, will, and his obedience, even unto death. He has a baptism to be baptized with. And so, there's that first paragraph if you have a paper Bible. He's been talking to the disciples. He has just mentioned in the context here, as Luke pens it for us years later, he has just mentioned to the disciples the central storm event of all human history. It's right here on the horizon. See it over there over the Mediterranean Sea. And now Jesus will turn, not just to the disciples, but to the crowd at large, and he will rebuke them for not recognizing it. Start with verse 54. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, like for us the Santa Anas. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. Your minds work great. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? See, it's Jesus using the word hypocrites here that points to to the fact he's not talking about, well, you guys, your minds don't work really well. Oh, I know. No. They are Jews. They have the Hebrew prophets and the Torah and the writings. They have the prophecies. The Messiah has been in their midst for three years. Jesus is saying the problem is not enough information. The problem is a heart issue. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Well, Jesus, he knew the answer. It's a rhetorical question. He knows the answer because you're blind. That's... God's great saving event. It has come. Jesus has just said, as a whole, the crowd in front of him has willfully been blinded to it. And so next paragraph. Jesus goes on to make a plea to them to think, to act wisely before it's too late. Start with verse 57. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? What does that mean? As you look at your Bible, what is that, what's Jesus saying? In the flow, when you think about it, I think it's pretty simple. He's just saying, think. Consider what is wise. And then do it. That's what he's saying. And now he goes on, watch, he goes on to give an illustration of how to do that. Think for yourself what's right. Think for yourself what's the smartest thing you could possibly do for yourself. Think that way. Here's his illustration, starting with verse 58. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him 
on the way. We got the same kind of thing in lawsuits and stuff today as they, they did back then. Look, you're deeply in debt to this guy. <laughs> okay? As he's dragging you to court, you would be really smart to try to settle, make a deal at a court before you get there. And now it becomes a legal situation of the Roman Empire. As he goes on, right? Lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer puts you in prison. Okay? He says, think, be smart. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. What's he saying? I'll tell you exactly what Jesus is saying. The accuser in the story here, the way it's applied as an illustration, the accuser is God. He's saying, think, be wise, settle before you get to court. To judgment day. You better do that before it's too late. So the flow of the text. He's going to the cross to have a baptism to be baptized. It's going to cause divisions. People are they're going to be on sides. There's no neutral ground. Read the signs. Use your mind. Interpret the time. Which means I, the Messiah, the Savior, am here. Interpret the time. Know this, that you have grievously sinned against God. Know this, in the larger context, God has sent His Son Jesus to rectify the problem with His baptism of being submerged in your sin and being punished for it and having done away with that problem with your accuser. Settle that. Settle with God now. That His Son was not just a substitute, but your substitute. Oh, how children and teenagers raised in churches like this need to hear it. So easy to assume. I'm a Christian. I'm raised a Christian. As you go and grow older and older, keep asking. Keep pressing. Be desperate to settle with the accuser. Because if a person doesn't, God will, quote, drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer puts you in prison and I tell you you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny Jesus pleads with the crowds Settle with your accuser. You're in the wrong. You don't want to go before the judge. Settle the case. No, no, no. You you don't figure out how you're going to settle and give him terms. God has said, Here's the settlement in our text. Go back and read it again. Verses 49 and 50. Here's the settlement. Jesus, who is God, who became human, and during His mortal human ministry, said, I came to cast fire on the earth And would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with 
And how great is my distress until it's accomplished. That's the settlement. Christ, as a substitute, baptized in God's holy, perfect wrath on behalf of all who would embrace Him, cling to Him. See, in the Scripture, there are all kinds of illustrations and anthropomorphisms, etc. And yes, here again, Jesus uses an illustration. And in this third paragraph, in the illustration, there, God is the accuser. It's true. Well, in the Bible, God is also the judge. And God is also the one who saves you from the judge himself by sending his son to go through the baptism with which he was and had now been baptized in. This is the gospel. I mean, just give you an illustration. Just say that you were caught and arrested for driving 110 miles per hour in a 35 mile an hour zone and went through four red lights. You could have killed somebody. You're guilty as heck and you are found guilty in the superior court. And the judge enacts the sentence. $10,000 fine or one year in jail. I mean, Nineteen-year-old kid. You don't have any money. The judge happens to love you. Because you're his child. Now, here's the problem. This judge can't just say, well, it's my son. Let's bypass justice. Let him go. No one who knew about that would put up with that. It is a travesty of justice for the judge to do something like that. So, how will the judge show his love to his son? Here's a way in, this, in that little illustration. Court is over. Gets out his checkbook and he writes a check for $10,000 and he hands it to his son. He says, now go cash it. Pay your, pay your fine. Because the father wants to free him. Doesn't want him to go. To jail. Now, of course, if you understand the illustration, it's not just 10000 It's thousands upon thousands of trillions of dollars. It, it is a payment that the son could never, ever, ever think of paying back. It is sheer mercy. The son doesn't deserve the father's check. He only deserves the judgment. What should that person that kid do. He could say to his dad, the judge, I don't want your stinking money. I don't want it. Who knows what kind of tiff he may have. Thank you, no. Then he's going to go to jail for a year. Jesus is saying, for your own sake. Are you out for your real happiness? Are you out for true and everlasting happiness? Then the only wise thing for you to do is to judge what is right. Think for your long-term happiness, which would mean embracing the baptism that Jesus underwent on the cross for the sins of the likes of all of us. He says, settle your case before the Holy Creator. Accept the cross. Love the Savior and the truth of His Word, the Gospel. Here it is. Put the whole thing together. Love Christ. It's a hard issue. 
and a mind issue. Love Him more than you love the most closest family relations. Jesus' message is cling to the gospel, to me, to the end. Division until His second coming. Division is here. Father, may the wonder, the depth, the contours, the extent of the cross of your Son, of that baptism with which he willingly submerged himself under your wrath, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. May these glorious gospel truths cause deeper and deeper affection for you, for those of us who are in Him. And if any are not, Lord Jesus, would you cause the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn out saving faith we love you Lord Jesus we thank you so much for your willingness to love us infinitely your name is great and may we with all of our hearts in our closing time sing it with deep affection and passion.